We had some uh, technical difficulties with our midweek uh, lesson this week, and so uh, I'm going to re-record what we went over. Um, didn't have a whole lot of conversation, so this is going to be pretty close to uh, everything we discussed. So, uh, we're continuing with chapter 8, section 1 of the Confession, and... Chapter 1, section 8 reads, God was pleased in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, according to the covenant made between them, to be the mediator between God and humanity. God chose him to be prophet, priest, and king, and to be head and savior of the church, the heir of all things and judge of the world. From all eternity, God gave to the Son the people to be his offspring. In time, these people would be redeemed called, justified, sanctified, and glorified by him. <clears throat> so that first sentence is what we had covered last week. Um, and part of what we had covered uh, in that sentence was this idea that the Father sovereignly chose the Lord Jesus to be our mediator. So that would be the way that that next sentence starts, God chose him. So this broader office of covenantal mediator consists of three more specific offices, those being prophet, priest, and king. And what we covered in our midweek uh, lesson was Jesus Christ as prophet. A.A. A. Hodge rightly asserts, quote, A prophet is a spokesman. One sent from God to man to make known the divine will. Louis Burkhoff states, quote, It was the duty of the prophets to reveal the will of God to the people. This might be done in the form of instruction, admonition, and exhortation, glorious promises, or stern rebukes. They were the ministerial monitors of the people, the interpreters of the law, especially in its moral and spiritual aspects. It was their duty to protest against mere formalism, to stress moral duty, to urge the necessity of spiritual service, and to promote the interests of truth and righteousness. If the people departed from the path of duty, they had to call them back to the law and to the testimony, and to announce the coming terror of the Lord upon the wicked. But their work was also intimately related to the promise, the gracious promises of God for the future. It was their privilege to picture the glorious things which God had in store for his people. End quote. So the idea there was um, essentially that uh, prophets were operating within a covenantal framework. And so um, they were God's prophets to God's people. So they were sent to a specific people group. And this people group was covenantally bound to God. And so part of that covenant would have been um, the covenantal law. And so prophets were to uh, call the people back to uh, not just mere formalism, but true adherence to the covenant law from the inward man. And also not just to call the people back to the law, but also to give them the good news of the Messiah to come, the ultimate prophet and priest and king, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
R.C. Sproul states, the Old Testament prophets were given the word of God to proclaim to the people, making these men mediators. Christ not only proclaimed the word of God, but he is the word of God, the very incarnation of the divine word. He not only says the word, but reveals it in his own person. Old Testament prophets spoke about things beyond themselves. The principal content of their prophecies of the future concerned Christ, who is both the subject and the object of biblical prophecy. When he prophesies, he speaks about himself. Old Testament prophets were prophesying not about themselves, but about another who would come, Christ. And so the first place where we turn to see this is Deuteronomy chapter 18. And verses 15 through 19. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. And it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Of course, this was Moses um, prophesying of a uh, prophet to come who would be like him and in fact greater than him. So then we turn to John chapter 5. Verses um, 45 through 47. So this was Jesus having a conversation with um, some of his Jewish opponents. And um, he said, starting in verse 45, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And if that wasn't clear enough that Christ is um, claiming that it was him that Moses was writing about, then turn to Acts chapter 3 and verses 18 through 26. And this is Peter again speaking to the Jewish people. And he says, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Keep that in mind for the next point. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. 
you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So there, of course, what Moses wrote is explicitly being applied to our Lord, um, Jesus Christ. And so now we want to look at Christ's exercise of his prophetic office. Burkhoff points out that Christ has exercised this office both immediately and immediately. And when we first started this uh, series on the 1689 Confession, we talked about immediate revelation and immediate revelation uh, in the context of the chapter on uh, Holy Scripture. And so, again, immediately means that there has to be something in the middle. Uh, it goes through a mediator. Immediately is the idea that it is being delivered directly. So there doesn't have to be anything in the middle. It, it's a uh, something is passed directly from one to another. So Christ's exercise of his prophetic office uh, in immediate form is what we're going to consider first. Uh, again, it's Burkhoff who says he... Christ exercised it immediately through the operation of the Holy Spirit by means of the teachings of the Old Testament prophets and of the New Testament apostles and exercises it even now through the indwelling spirit in believers and by the agency of the ministers of the gospel. This also means that he carries on his prophetical work both objectively and externally. So the idea there being um, like a general call um, it's objective, it's the same to everyone, and it's externally called. That's what would come to the, the ear um, and, and be considered by the mind. But then it's also subjectively and internally. So that would be uh, uh, with reference to individual subjects or individual persons, and then the internal man uh, in that way, and by the Spirit, which is described as the Spirit of Christ. So, um, on this point, we want to start with John chapter 15. And uh, verses 26 and 27. So, this is Jesus who's speaking. And he says, But when the Helper, and that's a reference to the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. And so, in that passage, we have two ways in which Christ exercises his prophetic office immediately. First, he exercises it through the Holy Spirit, who will bear witness about him. And then secondly, uh, he exercises his prophetic office through the apostles, who also uh, bear witness about him. All right, and now Romans chapter 8. Verses 16 and 17. 
And it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So the idea there is Christ is exercising His prophetic office immediately through the Holy Spirit in this way. Uh, he is taking God the Father's message um, and he is communicating that to us through the Spirit, uh, specifically that message being, we are his children. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3. It says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So again, the idea there is that um, no one can have this message, internally speaking, from God without the Holy Spirit. So someone could, with their lips, say the phrase, Jesus is Lord. But they wouldn't mean it from the heart. So uh, this would be an example of the subjective and internal working of the Spirit um, by which Christ is exercising his prophetic office. Um, he is communicating to us God's message that Jesus is Lord. Um, okay. Now, uh, next passage would be First Peter. Chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So there we see the uh, immediate force that Christ is exercising his prophetic office through is the Old Testament prophets here. And so the Old Testament prophets were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, that's the church, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... Christ exercises his uh, office of prophet immediately through the Holy Spirit to the prophets who then also act in immediate uh, form in giving that same message to the people. So by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. All right, and then we looked at 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which says, All Scripture is breathed out. So literally, these are the words that are coming from God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. But Scripture, though it is breathed out by God, it is written by men. So let's look then at, um, I believe it was 2nd. 
Yes. Second Peter chapter 1, picking up in verse 16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. So Peter was present with Jesus um, and directly heard the voice of God the Father declaring, This is my beloved Son, and witnessed Jesus being transfigured right before his very eyes. And then he says, We have something more sure. And he describes it as the prophetic word. He's talking about scripture there. And that'll become clear as we continue to read. He says, we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy. So you see, he's explicitly calling it prophecy. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but Men spoke from God, okay, messages coming from God, mediated through men, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is acting as another mediating force. We have a message from God the Father being mediated to these holy men by the Holy Spirit, who then write it down and function as mediators to give it to the people. And the content of the message is Christ. Alright, so that's the immediate function of Christ's prophetic office. Now let's look at the immediate function of Christ's prophetic office. Again, Burkhoff says, He, that's Christ, exercised his prophetical office immediately as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament period and as the incarnate Lord by his teachings and also by his example. So we turn to Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 19. It says, this this is where Abraham has been told by God he's got to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him. And Abraham is uh, exercising obedience to that direct command from God. So that's the context. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. It's the angel of the Lord's calling him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. 
He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Okay, so that he's saying, the angel of the Lord is saying, I know you fear God because you didn't withhold him from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So then the next passage we're going to uh, consider is going to be Exodus chapter 3. Certainly this is not all-encompassing. There are other uh, passages where I think we could say we have Christophanies um, under the heading or, or the name, uh, the angel of the Lord. But these two are very, I think, at the forefront. Uh, so Exodus chapter 3, this is the entire chapter. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Bear that in mind. It's very important. Who appeared to Moses? The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. And a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of, uh, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Okay, notice this. In verse 2, it says, It was the angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses. But then in verse 7, the Lord is the one talking to him. In fact, in verse 4, God called to him out of the bush. So the angel of the Lord is being uh, equivocated with God and the Lord himself. The passage continues, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, so again, he's talking to God, even though it's the angel of the Lord who's appeared to him. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, 
You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Again, it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. So consistently throughout there, the angel of the Lord is the one who appeared. And then from there on out, it says, God or the Lord are the ones that are having a conversation. So here we see the pre-incarnate Christ exercising immediate uh, prophetic office, giving uh, the message of God to Moses, the prophet. Uh, interestingly enough, we also see an example of immediate uh, prophecy here because he's giving this directly to Moses, but he's giving it directly to Moses to give indirectly to the people. All right. Uh, the next passage is Isaiah chapter 61. Verses 1 through 3. So Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is talking about uh, the servant of the Lord. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn, in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. But then, after reading that, let's turn to Luke 4. So that is clearly God's message being given to God's servant so that he may then give it to God's people. 
now in Luke 4, uh, picking up in verse 16 and going through verse 30, we read this. And he, that being Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as he was accustomed, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. But to what end? To proclaim good news to the poor. So to give a message, to exercise prophetic office. He has sent me to proclaim, again, prophetic office, liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So they were impressed with him at this point. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, excuse me, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Jesus is directly, uh, explicitly referring to himself as a prophet here. He says, um, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. So their praise of Christ quickly turned to wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So here we see Christ is uh, exercising both sides of the prophetic office that we talked about earlier. Uh, on the one hand, he's proclaiming good news, um, proclaiming liberty to the captives and uh, setting at liberty those who are oppressed. Um, so he's, he's got good news, but also he's calling God's covenant people to repent and to come back to the covenant law uh, not just externally uh, in a formalistic sort of way, but um, according to the inward man. So we see that Christ is exercising both uh, of those uh, functions of a prophet there. Um, and then also, obviously, he is directly applying the words of Isaiah to himself and saying, this great prophet um, that was foretold by Isaiah is me. So then, uh, now let's look at John chapter 7. 
picking up in verse 16, uh, the context here, um, the Jews were still pretty upset with Jesus for having healed on the Sabbath. And um, so they're at the Feast of Booths and uh, Jesus and some of the Jews are having a back and forth um, at the Feast of Booths. And so uh, we pick up in verse 16, it says, So Jesus answered them, My teaching, this is what Christ is speaking and teaching, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So there you have it. Explicitly, God the Father is giving this teaching directly to Jesus Christ. And he is exercising a role as one speaking from God, a prophet. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet, none of you keeps the law. So there he's exercising that prophetic office. He's pointing back to prior revelation that was given by God. And he's calling the people back to that law. And so he says, why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So the idea that Jesus is... Uh, putting forward that you would cut a part of the flesh off on the Sabbath and say you're in keeping with the law. So if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? He's saying, okay, you're, you cut off part of the male human body on the Sabbath, to be in keeping with the law. I, on the other hand, am actually adding to. I am making whole what was broken. I'm ending human suffering. Um, I'm bringing someone back to physical wholeness and well-being. And you say that I'm breaking the law for doing this. He's, he's pointing out their inconsistency there. And showing that, you no, know, truthfully, he's not breaking the law, but rather he's upholding God's law. And he's calling them to do away with their vain, man-made traditions, um, which is really what he had broken, um, to do away with that and to come back to the true meaning of God's law, exercising the office of a prophet. And he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So, so much for the idea that only God can judge, right? In the ultimate sense, of course, that's true, but um, that's not what's meant uh, by most people that say that nowadays. <laughs> All right, the next passage is John chapter 8. Um, picking up in verse 28. So John chapter 8, verse 28. And yet again, Jesus is having a back and forth with the Jews. All right, so it says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Okay, that's a direct 
claim, number one, to deity, and number two, that he's the Messiah. He says, I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So again, this idea that Jesus' teaching actually was given to him from God the Father, which is what a prophet does. A prophet receives a message from God and then delivers it to the people. He says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So in that way, here we have the incarnate word acting. So Christ uh, delivers God's word by mouth, but then also he is the very word of God embodied. So even by um, his life and his actions, not just his words, but also his actions, um, he is exercising his prophetic office. We are to do as he does. He lived out the law. He's a, he's a living picture of what it looks like to keep God's law and to declare it by action. All right, uh, John chapter 13, verse 15. Once again, this is Jesus speaking, but uh, this time he's speaking to the apostles. He says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place. Okay, exercising here. Uh, foretelling as opposed to mere forthtelling. So normally when we're talking about prophecy, um, the idea of forthtelling is always going to be present, but there also could be this idea of foretelling, so telling of events prior to them taking place. It doesn't always have to be the case. Um, as long as there's forthtelling, you have prophecy, but sometimes it involves foretelling. Um, so Jesus was foretelling uh, of Judas's betrayal of him before it took place. He says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Again, direct claim to uh, deity as well as being the Messiah. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So the point of uh, citing this passage, though, was not just to show that Jesus foretold events, but also that, um, again, he is the word of God embodied. So he says, for I have given you an example. So by my deeds, not just words, by my deeds, that you also should do just as I've done to you. By my deeds, I declare God's law to you, I declare God's word to you. In fact, he is God's word embodied um all right john chapter 17 and uh particularly emphasizing verse 8 but 
Um, I'm going to read 6 through 10. Uh, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. So Jesus is praying to God the Father. And he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Okay, there's a specific people that have been given a specific covenant people. Um, so Christ is our prophet, again, in a covenantal context. So he says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Now here we go. For I have given them the words that you gave me. So again, this idea that Jesus speaks the words of the Father. I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Um, and now before we uh, leave the Gospels, I'm just going to mention, I'm not going to go read it, um, but I'm just going to mention very briefly, um, in the... Olivet Discourse, um, Jesus, whether you interpret that as um, referring to the end of time, or rather, as I do, uh, interpret it as a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem, um, regardless of how you interpret that, it was a future event when Jesus spoke it. And so, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus predicts the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, that came to pass. Um, and that's also recorded. Um, I believe all three synoptic Gospels. I know it's in Matthew and Luke. I believe it's in Mark. If I'm not mistaken. Um, okay, let's now look at Philippians 2, 5. Okay, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the reason for including that is just simply this. Once again, the Word of God incarnate. So, a uh, personalized Word of God. Um, Jesus declaring the word of God as a man, just with his life. Uh, okay, now Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, long ago and many times and in many ways. 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, that would be immediate revelation. Many different ways uh, of immediate revelation. Many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so, God gave his message um, in various ways to the prophets in the Old Testament. Not a full revelation. It's looking forward to Christ. Uh, the prophets are not always understanding even what they're prophesying. They have some semblance of an understanding, but maybe not the full, complete knowledge uh, of what this means. Um, and so it, it was It was kind of murky. Not, not a full revelation. But now, in these last days, he has finally spoken, uh, or more fully spoken to us, by his Son. Um, all of these things that were a mystery in the Old Testament now have come to light. Jesus has made them clear. Jesus has explained what these things mean. And so they're not murky or dark now. Um, but he has shed all of the light that we need to, to understand these things. They were all pointing to him. Um, and then finally, 1 Peter chapter 2. Particularly looking at verse 22, but I, I'm going to back up and start at verse 21. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Leaving you an example. This is, again, the living word of God, the incarnate word of God. Leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So the opposite of that is, since there was no deceit, or not opposite, but um, the other side of the equation there, if there's no deceit, then that means everything found in his mouth is truth. God's word is truth. Um, Jesus is truth embodied. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Again, this is what we should be doing as believers in uh, Jesus Christ, as God's people. We should be Imitating what, I mean, to the extent we can, um, the way that Christ lived. It says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, Hodge summarizes this all nicely when he says, quote, Christ was the personal Word of God, incarnate. He who had eternally been in the bosom of the Father and known the Father, and consequently as mediatorial prophet is that original fountain of revelation of which all other prophets are the streams. He is the prophet of all prophets, the teacher of all teachers. End quote. Of course, the scriptural allusion that Hodge was making there is to John chapter 1 verse 18 which up to this point I've been using the ESV, but I'm going to use the NASB 95 here. 
um, that verse is translated in that translation as no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So I chose that translation because I think it best conveys what the original Greek was trying to say, uh, or what it actually did say, not just tried to say, it did say. Uh, the original text makes the point that there is a most intimate relationship between the Divine Father and Son. The Son is in the bosom of the Father. You can't get any closer than that. Um, so it's talking about the most intimate relationship. And then this Son, who has been in the bosom of the Father, has exegesato, exegesato, that's the Greek, from which we get the English words exegete and exegesis. And that's something we teach at Sovereign Savior. That's the way we teach. We exegete scripture. We believe in exegesis. We don't want to eisegete. We want to um, explain the text. We don't want to put our own interpretation into the text. But we want to actually pull out what the text is saying. So what is being said by John through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, he is saying that Christ literally exegetes the Father. He explains the Father to us. So, I don't see, I, I, I don't think it gets any clearer than that. Um, we exegete Scripture, but Christ exegetes directly the Father. That's pretty amazing. Alright, so that was, uh, that was everything I believe that we covered. And, um, Hopefully next week we will not have any technical difficulties and we can include our group discussion. Um, and I'll look forward to seeing everybody then.